Welcome to episode 30 of the Cowcast Shop Talk. Alright, welcome into this episode. I'm Eric. I am James. And we are here to talk to you about something that James is keeping held from me, so it'll be a shock. It's not really shocking or surprising. No, it's just something that came up yesterday that we had. Well, before we get into that, well, what? Yep. we've got some big news that we that I'm aware of, <laughs> that yeah, you're well, also I'm, aware of. I'm very aware of. So let's uh, one. So let's go ahead and kind of talk about the big news that we just announced on our Facebook page. And We're then getting we'll get married. <gasps> Finally? I guess. Feels like it. No, October 28th, which is a Saturday, that is the Halloween weekend. Uh, we are going to be having a pretty big signing in the store. We're going to have Garth Ennis, co-creator of Preacher and about a hundred other things. My favorite comic writer. This is his first signing in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. He's never been to the state before. And he only does two or three signings a year. So this is also... And each one has to be somewhere that he hasn't been. Either hasn't been or... Has some reason to want to go back. He just doesn't have to do signings, and he doesn't just doesn't do a lot of them. So let's but, face it: if you live in Wisconsin, you might want to try and make it for this. If you live outside Wisconsin, you live outside you of Wisconsin, you should definitely this. try and make it. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're anywhere in the in the Midwest or yep. the, the tri-state area where you have one state to drive, it's probably worth coming because yep. the odds of you being anywhere in that in that proximity to Garth Ennis again, uh, at least. You know, the next couple of years are probably not very good. Yep. But the other, so well, we should talk about one of the things that played a key role in landing Garth Ennis here was selling Wisconsin as the beer capital of the world, which it is. It is. We've got an unbelievable amount of craft breweries here Mm -hmm. and and big breweries too. Obviously, we have Miller, uh, but Garth Ennis was won over by our beer capital status, so uh, we... We've got them coming. And we should also add that, uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is, you know, as retailers, we talk not only to customers, but also to other retailers or potential retailers. And uh, this is a really good lesson in why you want to take advantage of those opportunities that are presented to you to attend, you know, conventions and specifically uh, retailer centric you know, events. So we, this whole thing played out because we went to the, uh, um, the diamond retailer summit at C2E2 Mm -hmm. and that helped build the relationship with the publishing companies, um, which also then got us basically the contact to get Garth here. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those lessons where, um, you know, if this is something you want to do, you're going to want to pay attention to those opportunities and take advantage of them when Mm -hmm. they come. So, yeah, in addition to Garth Ennis, uh, we're also going to have Joe Pruitt, who is well. He's he's been in comics for a, a long very time. very long time. Mm-hmm. He was uh, used to uh, work for Caliber. He was on Negative Burn. I mean, he's done a ton of stuff. Right now, he does Black Eyed Kids for Aftershock, um, and we've got Garth coming here to do a signing for his his Aftershock book, Jimmy's Bastards, which is sort of a play on James Bond. But one of the things that we're going to be doing for it is we're going to do our first store variant. Yep. Which we are 
We have no real details for that yet, other than we're probably going to do a print run of 500, but maybe 800. Uh, we might do 500 color and 300 black and white, something to that effect. Uh, we're still working on the artists we've got. We have a list. A kind of, yeah, we have, about, well, we have about half a list. Yeah. We're still waiting on some others. Uh, and it's amazing, some of the artists that we have the opportunity to potentially get to do this coverage. So it's it, the whole thing's very, very exciting. It is. Uh, we're just kind of getting everything. I know we've never done a signing of this magnitude. We haven't done anything this size before. So we think that this is going to be, this will be our, probably our biggest event since getting the store hands down. Yeah. And you know, do, do you mind? Should we take a few minutes and just talk about kind of some of these logistical things that we haven't, We've talked about some things. We've kind of got a few pieces floating around, but, you know, is this kind of a good opportunity just to share some of our mindsets and where we're thinking? Yeah, sure. So I guess where I'm coming from with that or where I'll start is a lot of what we're doing right now, again, is this this phase of figuring out who the cover artist is going to be and locking all of that stuff down. But beyond that, we've got, you know, constraints that we have to deal with in town. There's certain mm-hmm. events happening on that Saturday, so we want to fit things nicely into Not that. Not only are there events happening, but what happened was the nearest parking lot that we used to have was a municipal lot in the, the – it was also a parking lot for a restaurant called Spinnaker's, which closed about two years ago, two and a half. Something like that. Anyway, uh, we've been able to use that municipal lot uh, for the last I – mean, at least since Spinnaker's closed and before that – but pretty freely since they closed because nobody was parking there to right. go to the restaurant. What happened was a developer bought that business. They bought the building next to it and demoed the building. And now they're doing heavy construction. They're tearing that building down and they're going to be constructing um, condos, lakefront condos with a restaurant on the first floor. So the parking situation has gotten pretty bad around here. In addition to all the other construction that they're doing, yeah. On the on the other road that's adjacent to us, which is horrible. So we have a very small amount of parking. We parking was not abundant here to begin with. Now it's it's like finding a unicorn. I'll I'll say this. So for you maybe parking mm-hmm. is a pain. For me where I have to work Monday through Friday, this isn't this is a piece of cake. Um there's there's plenty <clears> of parking <throat> in the city. It just used to be less than a block's walk to get to the shop. And now yeah. it's three to four blocks, depending on where you end up parking. Well, and, and sometimes street... Okay, so you can... And you, you can, can find, find street parking, parking here there, but there's not much in a while, of it. But the yeah. big, one of the issues for me is, with if I have the truck, it's a big Dodge with an eight-foot bed. It's not, I'm not exactly parallel parking very well with that, especially in little street spaces. Uh, the big problem was... Finding, so we just had a show this past weekend that I set, that I set up at, pardon me. And, uh, one of the biggest issues was being it was loading up the truck because we used to be able to park it at the Spinnaker's parking lot. Right. Take a hand truck, haul everything out and just load the truck up. We can't do that anymore. I drove around and around and around and around and I ended up having to park like a block and a half away. Well, there's no way I was going to load up the truck from that far away. So instead of loading up the night before, like I usually do, I had to come back the next morning at like five 30 in the morning and load up because there was nobody that would be out front of the store. So I just threw the, the flashers on and loaded the truck up, but that little things like that make it a real pain to deal with this kind of stuff. So we've got that. It impacts you. Yeah. It impacts you in ways that you don't necessarily think about. 
I have no problem parking a block and a half away and walking, but like, if I have to load the truck up for a convention, if we're taking a ton of stuff and we're taking racking, you can't do that, you right. know? So then you either have to try to operate around the construction and the traffic, which is near impossible, and you'll probably get a ticket, or you have to come back early in the morning or late at night and do it. And neither of them are especially appetizing. First world gripes. Uh, but as far as oh, logistics yeah. go with, with Garth, you know, that that's part of it. Um, the, the, the cover artist and that piece of it's another part of it. We've the accommodations and, and all that stuff's taken care of. So that's not an issue, but, um, you know, then we get into the, the part of the discussion where we have to figure out, well, what else are we going to bring in? Right. So we well, know hold on, that before we do that, let's finish the, the traffic thing. So we have the traffic problem going on. There's not a ton of parking right now. In addition to that, the same day that we're doing this signing, which is the Halloween weekend, there's the business trick-or-treat downtown, which means there's going to be a lot of people downtown. And then there's a parade, which is downtown, that goes right past the store. So we're it's going to be busy downtown. The it's good news very is busy. the schedule that we have does not overlap. The signing does not overlap trick-or-treating or it, the, the it parade. Does, so. It does not overlap, but it's going to get pretty darn close. It'll be fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more excited than nervous about anything. Oh, I'm not nervous about it at all. I'm... I'm looking at it like a workhorse. Let's just get it done. But. Yep. Um, so outside of that, we've got the next question, which I think is any anyone who's doing a signing uh, should be thinking about is what else are you going to sell, right? So mm-hmm. not only is Garth coming for predominantly to push Jimmy's Bastards, his new book, um, but we're also going to be selling his other work. I mean, that that's part of the, the point. That's part of why... Uh, creators will come out and do stuff mm-hmm. like this. They don't expect that all they're going to sign is Jimmy's Bastards for two, three hours. There's going to be other stuff. So uh, one of the things that we do is uh, with certain publishers that allow it, we can do consignment work. And so we basically submit an order to Diamond that is then approved by you know DC, Marvel, Image, mm-hmm. whomever. Now, Aftershock does it... Uh, they do a little differently. But yeah, they do it on their own. They don't yeah. go through Diamond to do it. Yeah, which is which is fine. We'll work with them just as just as well, and we Anytime don't have to worry I can about cut it. Cut them out of the equation. It's, uh, <laughs> we're not net positive. Yeah, we're not going downhill. Um, so you know, we're going to be we we've already kicked around a little bit of it, but we're mm-hmm. talking about you know, obviously we're going to have preacher and how many different you know variations of the preacher collected editions are there and preacher and Punisher and boys Max. and Punisher Max. I mean, there's so many so many things that we can get in yep. for him to sign and. Books like Cross. War Stories, Cross. War Stories. Yep. Hitman's out of print, which is kind of depressing, but uh, but I've got my collection. So, <laughs> so it's going to be, that's another piece that we have to uh, kind of sit and work through. The nice thing is that is something we don't have to decide today. I mean, we'll have to figure it out right, in the next few right. weeks, but uh, it's not something that is as imminent as bookings and stuff like that. Um, and then on top of it, I, I think... We take a similar approach uh, in how we look at things. When we, we have a creator here, it doesn't matter if they are, um, you know, John Smith, the local grocer who does a little comic strip on the side, or Garth Ennis, uh, whomever, you know, we're going to treat them the same way with respect and whatnot. Um, we've heard of different establishments that will do things like they will have someone hosted for a two-hour signing, but two hours before that, They'll just set up long tables with stacks of books and just have them go around and around in circles, mm-hmm. signing and signing and signing. And, you know, that that's something that, while would be awesome, and to an extent, you know, we will probably have a few 
things in the in a store signed after mm-hmm. the event. Things like uh, when Tim Seeley was here, we still have revival signed items, you know. But it's yep. not we're not making them do hours of signing. I mean, this is this is a it's a two way street. They're doing us a service, we're doing them a service, you know. Um, so that's one thing that we have to figure out too is how we're going to work the logistics of making sure that um, the stock that we want to have signed here is signed without overwhelming and and being obtrusive to schedules and writer's cramp. You know, mm-hmm. can you get that from signing your name too much? I'm sure you could. Probably could. I'm sure you could. I'm not famous enough to know. No, either am I. But uh, any I other... sign everything digitally now too. So oh, there you go. There you go. Anything else logistically that? Um, we have to work through that we can share with people? Um, well, one of the things that, that we have to work on is um, pricing. Mm-hmm. We, we're not – because we're not going to charge – Garth isn't going to charge to get items signed. We're not going to charge to have Garth sign your items. But we are going to kind of do a de facto charge because this is not free for us. There's, there are a lot of costs associated with it. Um, one of the things that we're going to do is with our store – we're just going to make purchase of our store variant – be kind of the mandatory ticket for admission for signing. Right. So if you buy the store variant, you're going to be able to get into the signing. Um, and then there's no fees after that. But just because you will have the lo- the one guy that shows up with a long box full of preacher to get signed, we're going to limit the, si- the, the signed items to five per person. And then if you want more, you just have to get back in line again. So, you c- you know, depending on how long the line is, you can potentially get a lot of items signed, but you just have to keep cycling through, and that'll keep the line moving. Yep, it's fair. I think it's fair for everybody because most people will will only have up to those five items, uh, if that. But you will get your people that have a lot of items, so they'll keep the line. We'll keep the line long, and then eventually we'll cap the line at a certain point, or we'll cap the line at a certain hour of the day. You know, at two o'clock, we're going to say nobody else can get back in line or something like that. And, and go from there. We'll we'll get it we'll get it figured out as we get closer to that. But um, since then, or since we um, we kind of got this all locked in, we've just been reading a lot of. We've been looking at ways that other stores, bigger stores, yep. handle stuff like this, and how they run their signings and their events, you know, and um, taking what what we can get out of that and trying to to figure out how we can apply it here. Yeah, because our our main goal is. Obviously, you know, you do an event like this and as a retailer, you hope to uh, recoup your expenses and then profit from it. Uh, but additionally, you know, there's um, there's more pieces that go into it than that, right? So you're bringing in a new audience. So you want to make sure you're putting the best foot forward. So you want good flow. You want, you know, good facing, things like that. Uh, on top of that, you're, you're building goodwill with the creators. So hopefully word of mouth among mm-hmm. the creator circles can be a positive for you. You know, they can say things like, oh, the experience was great. They took care of everything. They didn't overburden me. They, you know, put me up in a nice place. They didn't make me eat at IHOP. You know, no, stuff like that. No, we're certainly putting them up is, in a nice place. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And that's, you know, really with no matter who we get, we don't skimp out on that. I mean, right. the, the extra few bucks is totally worth it to We've to make offered it. Now, we've had creators that have come out here. Even even people that live like two hours away that we've off we said do you want a hotel room do you what can we do for you and like no we'll just we'll just drive yeah we'll drive home for the night I mean I suppose if I lived two hours away and I was coming up to do a signing at noon I'd probably just want to go home too yeah so I mean it but it's all part of it and it's all part of you know the hospitality and everything we're doing so um, we've gotten nothing but positive feedback from everyone that we've had at least to our faces 
It, well, to our faces, <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you the nicest person that I think we've had. Well, well Phil Hester. And I, I was going to say, I can't say the nicest person because they've all been pretty nice. Yeah, I, uh, but the person who was most supportive about trying to get other people in the store and on top of that, who wants to come back, who we're working with to have come back, hopefully in the next couple of months, is Phil Hester, who was, he went on his Twitter and talked about the signing here in such positive terms that uh, it was pretty humbling to to read. Yeah. He, he didn't have to do that. I didn't even know. I mean, it's not like he, he said, I'll put something on Twitter. I saw that like three or four days later when I was looking through his Twitter feed and he mentioned, he mentioned the store and what a good time he had. So I just, it was unbelievable to me. Yeah. And you know, Otis is, we're planning on having Otis back this fall again. That's oh, kind yeah. of uh, been a, a wonderful annual tradition. And uh, he's one of those guys too, just incredibly gracious and, uh, and he's got a new gig. Yes, yes, he's got uh, signed a six book deal with Capstone Publishing to do Batman the Animated Series style art. Uh, they're kind of pocket digest size books that Capstone puts out, um, predominantly DC related at this point. But yeah, it's he's kind of doing the whole Justice League. It's, it looks like so uh, it'll be exciting. Hopefully, they should be starting to come out in the next couple of months. So fingers crossed when he comes down here, we'll at least have one or two in addition to Oddly Normal and uh, all of his prints and stuff that he has. Jawas. Oh my gosh, those Jawas are awesome. <laughs> yeah, we've got to get him. We should get a, we should use this podcast to organize a writing campaign to get him on Star Wars Adventures. Oh my gosh. Yes. Anyone else out there? Actually, you know what? I, I will take this moment. So uh, you can go to, to Twitter. You can go on Instagram. You can see if you look in the past of some of the stuff that Otis has done, he did um, uh, almost 60 or maybe more mock covers of a comic book called Jawa Adventures, where he took his Jawa art and put it into the Marvel skin. Obviously, it would probably be IDW at this point now, but mm-hmm. um, you can, you know, text, tweet, email, whatever you want to do, uh, Marvel and IDW. With his stuff and say, I want to see a Jawa Adventures book. Uh, I think we both feel pretty strongly that it would have a very high success rate for multiple reasons. I mean, whether he's doing the writing and the art or just the art or just the Mm -hmm. writing, um, he gets it. I think as far as the Jawa goes, he is uh, probably deeper into the Jawa mindset than most people. But I highly recommend that you can buy – you can get some of his Jawa work online. In fact, I noticed that somebody on Facebook in one of those, uh, you know, nine ninety nine t shirt shops stole his art and put oh, it on did their they shirt. Really? Yeah, yeah. Did um, you flag it? Or did it you contact other him? people flagged it, thankfully, but okay. I don't. I don't know if anything's going to happen. But anyways, if you like Jawas, if you like Star Wars, if you like um, animated work, if you like all ages stuff, check out Otis if you haven't already. Uh, and then, like I said, any way that you can get Marvel and IDW aware of his product would be. In my opinion, would be great. I, I think it's well deserved. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, well, let's jump on to the next one. So here we, we go. We had a guy who came in yesterday, and this is kind of an interesting one. Um, who, to make a long story short, was laid off and decided that instead of trying to go back to work or whatever, he was going to sell. He was going to resell comics. I don't think he knew a lot about the market. Um, nice guy. I don't think he knew a lot about the market, but he was asking for all sorts of stuff. Golden Age books and graded books and stuff. And uh, 
we I had a long conversation with him about the people we do have customers that that try to that that just buy from us and resell or buy from other stores and us and resell and there is there is a market to doing that but the question is how much of a market is there for people to buy from stores like us to turn things around and to resell is there much of one and i think that there can be but i don't think that you it's not going to be a high margin business you know um we have i'd say two of our biggest customers are people that just buy to resell and they buy when they buy from us at volume we give them a discount but it's not a discount off wall books they're buying stuff out of our bins we have good stuff in our bins mm-hmm. we have very good stuff in our bins but even at that kind of a discount if we give them you know let's say that they buy $3000 worth of stuff we might give them a 25% discount you know or maybe a 30% depending on what, what it is they're buying. And it's great because we have so much product. It frees up space in our back issue bins. We can restock with new stuff with product that hasn't been sitting there and with fading price tags for a long time. Uh, and he can turn it around and, you know, maybe make after your eBay and PayPal fees or whatever, wherever you're selling it, maybe you make 18%, maybe less, you know, maybe a little more, but usually not. What do you think, Eric, is the market for people buying from stores like us strictly to resell? And I don't mean your, the people that occasionally would pick up a redneck one to flip it that week. You know, people that do it on a regular sustained basis. Uh, so my thoughts are it depends on, on two things. It depends on risk aversion and it depends on how deep your pockets are. So the risk aversion part comes in where, you know, there's there's speculator sites out there. Mm-hmm. Every day they're posting new books. Go grab this out of the dollar bins. You can get it, you know, cheap, two bucks or whatever. And some people will just blindly follow that and go deep and maybe get 15 copies of a book for a dollar with the hope that it'll jump to 50. If you're risk averse and you want to sink money into that, uh, by all means, go ahead. The risk, the, the return can be high, right? You're If you're paying a dollar... And let's say it sells for $25. Well, that's a huge, a huge net profit, mm-hmm. you know, a high margin. Um, but that doesn't pan out all the time or most of the time. You know, it, it's, it's one of those things where there's a high risk to getting into that. So I guess I would, I would caution people in that regard. Uh, when it comes to how deep your pockets are, like you said, the best way to get the better deal is to buy more. The more product you buy, the higher the price, the better discount we can give because that's more money in the bank. Mm-hmm. You know, if you come in and you buy one $50 wall book, you're probably going to pay $50. You are going to pay $50. Yeah, you come in and you absolutely. buy, you know, 20 of them. All right. Maybe you're going to pay 40 a book. Yeah, we'll work with you. So I don't know if we're going to knock off 20%, but we'll work with you. Yeah, just, and it, it all just depends an on the, it all depends on the product. Product, yeah, it depends on the product. Depends what our stock is, and actually, that's an interesting thing too. We can talk about is how the price um, for both buying and the ability to discount depends also on stock. What what's in stock? Yeah, but uh, so I, I guess for me, if I would cautiously enter that realm of buying from stores. To flip and sell. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to flea markets, you're going to swap meets, you're going to whatever, 
that can be different because those people may not really know it, the comic market. It can market. be, but the th- they it might can not also know be the, the com- other way. But they might not know the comic market, but at the same time, is somebody who is... I know the comic market a little bit, a little bit, and I go to tons of flea markets, estate sales, rummage sales, stuff like that. I can tell you over the last four or five years, I haven't seen a single deal comic-wise at a single one. I used to see them every once in a while, but a lot of times now we get stuff like, I just was at a, a flea market last week, um, a, a relatively big one, a big area flea market, and I, I only saw one person selling comic books. He had a lot of them, though. He had a lot of boxes, and all of his comics were $4 each. He had boxes of Richie Rich, boxes of uh, highest reorder number, like high highest reorder number, Classics Illustrated, um, bad Dell and gold keys, and they were all in bad shape. They had all probably been at, they probably spent at least 15 years out in the sun at a thousand flea markets because they were all faded. You could tell that they had gotten dew and condensation on them, and this guy wanted $4 a book. And I thought, there are probably people going to the flea markets eventually that are, that are going to see that and take some chances buying those books, having no idea that the books are near worthless. I think most of the time, my advice to people buying from estate sales and flea markets and rummage sales is the people that have them, and especially antique malls. Let's talk about the antique malls around oh, here. Oh, gosh. Now, when, when the people around here at the antique malls, we have a couple yep. of comic books, where do you think they bring the comics to get appraised? Right here. Mm-hmm. So I know a good chunk of the books that go into these antique malls. And I can tell you, they bring them in and it's like, Ripped up copies of Uncle Scrooge, and I say, this book's worth maybe a dollar. You might get a buck for it. And then I go in there a month later to look around, and I see that same book for $25 with some bad eBay printout of how someone's asking 25 for the book, you know? So they don't... I tell them what it's actually worth, and they go, we don't like that, so we're going to put $25 on it. They probably take 20 though, right? They probably take 20 But my point to people is... The people selling the product, if you don't know the comic book back issue market, they might not know it either. You might even know it a little bit better than they do, but they've had the time to do the research into the book. So usually thinking that just finding a comic or a bunch of comics somewhere that you're going to get a deal that you'll be able to flip, you won't. Most of the time you won't because they've at least – everybody looks stuff up now. Everybody has the internet. The challenge comes into – Setting what's reality and what's correct fiction. Correct. You know, I looked them up on eBay and they're selling for three hundred. No, we they're had, for sale for three hundred. Right. They're selling for one hundred. How many times have we had? I have this happen so often where somebody brings in a collection and, and I'll use the the one that old lady that brought in the Classics Illustrated um, about three months ago. She brought in a bunch of them. They were all ripped up. They were all very high highest reorder number. And I told her that I just I even said I wasn't really interested in buying them. I said, you know, the most I'd be able to give you, she had probably 50. I said, I'd be able to give you maybe 20 bucks for them. We don't sell them. We just don't sell Classics Illustrated. These were in bad shape. They were late reprints. I said, she told me she was having a rummage sale. I said, well, put them out of your rummage sale for a dollar a piece. And you're going to get somebody that that doesn't know what they are, that thinks they're valuable, and they'll give you a buck a piece. And then, you're, you know, and everybody wins. Well, sure enough, somebody did buy a bunch of them. And they brought them here. And they made up a story about how they found them in their uncle's or 
fathers or grand, I don't even remember, grandpa's basement or something, or oh, his old collection. And I said, man, I said, well, was your uncle or grandfather or your father the old lady that had the rummage down there? I'm like, oh, you, you went to that rummage sale? I was like, no, but they brought, they brought the books in here. So these people come up with some story. And then I tell them, she brought them in here and tried to sell them. I didn't want them. And then you bought them. Which is you why know? they were out there for a dollar. Exactly. So most of the time, these people... That old lady knew nothing about comic books, but she took them to someone who did. And we educated her. And then she sold them to somebody who didn't take the time to do that. Because that, that lady had the edge on that guy who thought he was pulling one over on a little old lady. So I would say that the people... You have a much better chance of getting burned because the people that have the product have the ability to research it, to look it up, to go to someone who can tell them what it is versus you striking gold and getting the box of action comics number ones or something, you know? Right. I think that I always caution people on buying that because just about everyone who's ever brought in a box of stuff that they got at a rummage or a flea market, it's been junk. You know, it's been, we've had people bring in boxes of uh, young blood and brigade and blood strike and stuff like that. And new universe that they paid, a dollar a piece for at a rummage sale. And I think, how how do we get a dollar a piece for these books? Right. You know? But it's people buying this stuff thinking that they can resell it. And they're getting burned more often than not. So if you're operating as a reseller, I would say you have to have a very intimate knowledge of the market in order to, to be any good at it. And even then, you have to know the market that you're in too because Milwaukee's a very... Milwaukee has very deep roots in, in uh, comic book distribution and resale because of capital city. We had some of the first direct market stores around here, you know, um, we've got a lot of long-term vendors and long-time vendors that know the market very, very well. We've got upstarts like us, young upstarts like us that also know the market very well. So just being a, being someone who wants to break into selling comic books, it's tough. It's going to be a tough market for you. You're competing with a lot of people and then let alone getting your product from somebody who who knows the market and is a dealer of those comics, you got to operate on slim margins. I mean, you got to be the woodmans of comic book dealing, you know? Yeah, and I, I think that that's a big piece of it too, is that we're not, we're not advocating that anyone not go out and look mm-hmm. for comics and not try and do this. We're also we not advocating that to, you do no, it. Like, seriously, we will get, like I said, we have people to come in and they'll buy three or four long boxes of our price back issues out of the bins and we will throw them maybe even 30%. We've had 40% sales before. Yep. But you, and you, if you do that, you could make money, but it's, it, the, the, I guess the obvious thing that someone could come back with is if somebody could buy those books at 40% and turn them around and make money, why aren't you making that money? You're the dealers. You're the comic book sellers. You're the experts. And it's a valid point. But if these people are just buying those things to put on auction or to resell, they can take the time to do it. We we don't. Right. Especially if we've already made our money back a long time ago on those books and it's all gravy, you know, and this is all profit. Um, that's fine. Let somebody else try to milk out that extra 25% and we'll turn our money around and we'll buy a, you know, a big stock of, or a big stack of keys or something that we can turn around even quicker like the, right. it's kind of um it's it's kind of almost like a community uh approach to things like we don't we don't need to milk every single cent out of every single book or we would be sitting on every single book till the end of eternity well and we choose to not do that intentionally yeah. because like you said we would we already you know someone comes and buys 
three, four long boxes of stuff. We've got 10 more where that came from. And then oh, some. Oh, yeah. We, you know we'll I mean? have We've it got... restocked in 20 minutes. Right. And, and that's, I think, a, another interesting aspect, too, is that other stores, um, and there was a store that I went to, had a couple of books, higher price keys that I was interested in buying. Um, you know, the total would have been north of $300 for the two books. California? And, no, this was out east. Okay. Um, but there was a couple of books there that I was interested in. And, and the thought that I had was these were going to go into my personal collection. These were not things that I would buy for the shop, you know. So that margin was already different right there. And I I just flat out asked, are you willing to work a little bit on price? Because they were priced at the higher end for what they were. And the, I got an immediate response of, nope. Nope, they're just the price, and that's what you're going to pay. Mm-hmm. And I have mixed feelings on that. When you're talking hundreds of dollars in books, at least entertaining, you know, an offer is is the respectful thing to do. Doesn't mean you have to take it. At least hear what the person has to say. The flip side of that is, if that guy wasn't the person that had the authority or the approval to sell those books at a reduced price, then just tell me. That's fine. Just say, you know what. I'm not the person that would handle that mm-hmm. transaction if you come back tomorrow at this time or I can call so-and-so. Like, at least do that. That's completely fine, too. Because, like, Sam, Sam's not going to make deals on wall books. He, he doesn't know them. No, well. but he – but I – one of the first things I told him was because he'll have people that – you have people that know that I – certain people, you know who they are. Oh, yeah. And I know who they are. Oh, and yeah. I'm sure some of the people listening even know who they are that deliberately – used to wait until I wasn't here to try to come in and, and lowball Sam or Mike or somebody. Now, Mike wouldn't take crap from anybody. Right. So I was never worried about Mike doing that. But with Sam, you know, at first I was like, oh, man, if they come in and they go, oh, yeah, James said, uh, if I pick that up, you give me an extra 10%. I thought, these people will do that. And I know that they've done it. So I just told him to always say, nope, I have no authority to give. I'm just an employee. I have no authority to give you a discount on anything. You'll have to come back and talk to the owner. Right. And what can you can't make an argument, even if somebody says, "Man, I'm from out of state. I'm not going to be back." I, like I get that he can text me or call me, maybe. Yeah. But he just he doesn't have the authority to do it, and that is the perfect excuse. Just like if you go, and it's not an excuse. Business, it's right? the reason. I exactly. mean, the reason is the reason, and and conveying that is, I think, the important thing because it's mm-hmm. like you know, if I'm passing through town and you're the person that would make the deal isn't able to be there, okay, I can respect that. Heck. We're here, and I'm not here very often. You and know? we've had and we've had instances where he has you made an executive decision that I've completely agreed with. Like, you know, every once in a while, somebody will look at like we had. A, I remember we had a guy. We had a big stack of like twelve Inhumans number ones, and some guy wanted to buy three of them. And he asked, he said, like, if I bought three copies, would you knock five bucks off each one? And he did it. Okay, that's fine. You know, we're sitting on a humongous pile of them. Yeah, that all came out of one collection, by the way. Kind of cool. Um, but that's, that's fine. Knocking that from 40 down to 35 because someone's buying three of them, I am totally fine. So and he knows. Huge he, sta- you know, right, exactly. So he, he makes that, um, he makes that executive decision when he knows that it's, that there's no real risk. But otherwise, yeah, he'll just come back and say that he has no authority to do it. Yeah. Um, now, well, go ahead. Do you have more? Oh, yeah, but you can go first. Well, I was going to spin the conversation a slightly different angle of this. Okay. So say you are, you know... I was just going to... Well, I'll just cap it with one thing then. Um, The other thing is the people that primarily buy all this stuff from us, they're not 
pricing them and taking them to shows. They're running yeah. them on auctions. They tend to need because this is their own, the only thing that they do. They need to keep their cash flow going. They need to keep the cash flow up. They can't sit on product and have capital stored up and stuff sitting in a in a garage until three weeks from now when they hit the next show. So they take it and they run it in an auction. It's a good thing that it keeps your cash flow up, but the negative is, of course, you have a lot more risk. So you could you can break even, you can make a little, you can lose some. We don't need to take that risk on right. You're on issue 129 of Fantastic Four. You know, if we get five bucks for it or four bucks for it or three bucks for it or whatever it is, that's great. Let them take the risk. Let them take. They I mean, can the try sheer, and squeeze that extra fifty cents. The sheer labor of listing three long boxes of books on eBay to auction it off and only maybe make half of what you paid back. We don't, we don't even want to take the, the labor to do that. Yep. You know, that labor is better spent doing something else. You got to look at your productivity curve, but these people that are just doing this, that's all they do is, is reselling stuff like that. They can, they can, and they kind of have to take that risk, you know, to get the, to get the big rewards. But, for us, it's not worth doing. So to answer the question of why are we trying to milk out that extra 20%, that's why. Yeah. It's not worth our time. It's not worth our effort. It's not worth the risk. So let's go back to something we touched on earlier. So I feel like we're at a good point to do that. We're on the other side of the counter now, uh, hypothetically, and I've got a run of books that I want to sell. Now, what we pay will vary depending on mm-hmm. multiple things, the market being the, the primary driver. Um, there's some things that we will always pay up for, pay the same, pay whatever. But there's instances where, in the case of the Inhumans or something like that, where we have a number of something. Maybe we've got three runs of this set already that we're sitting on. The price that we're going to pay is going to differ based mm-hmm. on the product that it is and how you know we need it. We have to store it. How quick is it going to turn? Things like that. So do you want to break down a little bit of yeah, that? Yeah, but there's and there's good and bad stuff to sit on. I mean, I think if, I think keys, right. if it's a dedicated key, there's, there's, it's never a problem sitting on it. You know, right. I would like, love to have, we'll have if 500 I had, Batman adventure 12. I, I don't, sure. Or if, if we had, even if we had 15 copies of amazing Spider-Man 300, I'm still going to pay yeah. the same price for the 16th or the 20th or the 25th. Yeah, copy. exactly. But it, yeah, it certainly is going to depend on we had. The other thing is how quickly can you move a book and how quickly do you need to move a book? Yeah. Because, the, we had a, we've actually gotten a couple of them in in the last six months, but we got a, a Hulk 181 that was an 8.0 graded. I knew I could turn it around the next day for 2100. The guy wanted 1500 for it. Worth doing. So we paid 1500 for this book. That's way over the normal margin that we would pay. Way over the normal margin. But I, in one day, I was able to make $600. Yeah, for big books, you go for it. Right. I mean, that that's, yeah. And not to mention that that book, if even if we decided to sit on it for a year, it's we'll probably make a little more after that. Right, year, it's not you know? going down. Right, exactly, exactly. So that's, I think books like that you need to be able to pay up because even though that was way above our margin, if I didn't buy it, somebody, some the next guy down the line would ex- exactly. And someone then we'd miss will out buy. on that six hundred. Correct. So how quickly can you make it's it all? Just like we've said before, it comes down to volume. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you can, if you can turn something around that quickly and make that much money, I mean, you've you've done next to nothing to make six hundred dollars. Right. You've written a check or or handed out a bunch of hundred dollar bills, made a phone call, and then collected more. 
You know, it's that easy. So I think we, if it's something like that that we know we can turn around quickly, that there's a huge demand for, we'll pay over over our margin on it. Some things, though, many perceived keys, we won't pay even half for. Um, and at this point, too, like especially something like Inhumans. I think Inhumans number one for a while was a great book to have. Now I don't think anybody cares. Mm-hmm. There's a show coming out because what the reception's lukewarm at best. They're not the giant Inhumans comic push has been lukewarm at best. I mean, it's Inhumans are not what Marvel wants them to be. They are not going to replace X Men. And now with Resurrection, they're putting X Men kind of back to prominence, so that pushes. Inhumans being the fill-in mutants is right. kind of in the rearview mirror. So would I pay as much now still sitting on a stack of Inhumans number ones? We got four left, I think. And we've been sitting on them for over a year. It's taken us that long at the height of the Inhumans fervor to sell through like eight copies of them, eight or nine copies of the number one. Right now, having three copies or four copies left on the shelf... If somebody brought in an Inhumans one, I'm not going to pay what I would have paid a year ago, even though I have less, because it's not as important of a key anymore. Sure. It had the poten- It's a book that had potential to be a key, a big key. It's not really even a key. It's just the first issue. It's like Iron Man one. But the time for that book's... It's not relevant. It's not as relevant as it was a year ago, so now we're going to pay less for it, even though the argument is that we've sold eight or nine copies within the last year. That's a lot of, of copies of a book like that to sell. But I just I wouldn't be interested in stockpiling more what we had been paying. Another I guess another instance would be Civil War. When oh, yeah. the Civil War film was, you know, probably three to six months out from hitting theaters. We probably sold it was at a fever pitch and we were buying seven or eight sets at yeah. the store. And we were paying, you know, our good prices. Good prices to get them. Once the movie hit and everything died, oh, yeah. it, you can't sell a set. We've got between the bins and the sets out on the set section, we probably have three or four runs. Oh, more than that. I bet we have six. And we least. couldn't keep them on the shelf. Right. We put them on the back wall and they would fly. Exactly. So so that's that's part of it. And then there's just this, the straight up volume of things. So certain runs of books that we may have that, uh, well, let, let's use this as an example. When Batman, when New 52 was going on, those early, you know, three, four arcs of Batman especially the first couple of issues were commanding mm-hmm. higher premiums, the first, you know, quarter of hours, things like that. Well, now that we've switched into rebirth, new 52 has kind of waned a little bit as far as the excitement for it. And we've gotten in multiple runs of that new 52 Batman run. And each time we're paying a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less right. because we're not selling them as quickly. You know, there, there's certain books in there that are, that are good books to have. Well, and, no but doubt. this is also an instance where we're not selling it as quickly and we have a lot of it, but as opposed to the inhuman stuff where the price point for the first issue has pretty much stayed the same, the price on, on yeah. that run of Batman has gone down. So yep. we're what we're paying is kind of in sync with the declining market price of that run. Right. It's not necessarily us saying that the, the value is the same. We're just going to pay less. The value has gone down. We're paying less. There's not as much interest in it. I mean, we haven't – I I don't think we've sold an issue of that run now for three or four months. Yeah, it's been a while. And even then, I think the last issue that we sold was just because we got that one in one hundred variant mm-hmm. on a on a good deal. So I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's all those pieces have to 
be driving at the same time. Like mm-hmm. you said, there's certain books you're always going to pay up for, right? You're always going to pay up for the Hulk 181. You're always going to pay up for ASM one when that walks in for the yeah. third, fourth, fifth time. Or next know. next Monday, we've got I might be buying an 80 graded Daredevil number one. Right. Uh, the guy wants an arm and a leg for it. I mean, quite a bit. Uh, and I'm I'm on the fence right now about doing it. It's like we're talking like ninety percent of market on it, but I think I'm probably going to end up doing it because some of it's not going to be cash. I mean, probably a thousand of it will be trading some other keys away for it. But that's a book that's never going to, it's a high grade daredevil number one. Right. You know, you, it's kind of hard to turn it down. It's hard. It, it's stupid to watch it walk away. Now, if the guy wanted $5,000 for it, if you wanted way over market, then you got to say no because right. you could take that same amount of money and invest in something else that you could turn over just as quickly. But I just don't see any problem with paying a, paying way above your margin to get certain certain books that are sure things. But that goes back to the to the question at hand, which is we know that. But if you're somebody who's just trying to get into, even if you've been in uh, reading comics for a while, you might be a big comic reader, or you might be a big fan of the characters or the. I don't know, some certain property. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to make money selling comic books. And if you don't know the market, then going somewhere where people that do know the market And trying are, to get the deal. And trying to, right, and thinking that you can make a lot of money off that is probably not the way to go. Now, the people that do buy from us in volume know the market very well. Yes. And they know... And they know that there's certain things that they're not going to get as much of a break on. And they know there's things yeah. that... And they're just, they're aware like well, they, he, yeah. one of the guys uh, in particular was, he was a little sad that we didn't call him uh, about our last Amazing Spider-Man number one. And I said, well, I said, you know, I didn't call you because we're not going to give you any discount on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sure enough, we sold it right away. And he's like, well, some things I, I don't need a discount on. He's like, if I'm selling a hundred early issues of Amazing Spider-Man, I'll make my money back. I'm happy to just make my money back selling the one if it drives the price on the others. And I thought, well, that's no, now I know for the future. Yeah. But there's an instance where this guy is willing to not make any money on the book, but he knows that having it's going to drive the price up on the other stuff that he's selling, you know? So you have to be able to have that disposable income to support the other auctions that you have. Now, one thing we can say as far as auctions go, that's a, a bad idea is selling runs of books that you don't have in your possession and then having to go chase them down. Oh, yeah. And I bet a good chunk of the people listening to this from the Milwaukee area know exactly who we're talking about. Um, Certain actor slash comedian. It's a bad practice. Don't do that. (laughs) No, well, this guy. So what he does, uh, infamous in this this general uh, area of operations, is he will list eBay auctions or... Buy it now is actually not... He doesn't run them on auctions for like a whole run of a series. So he'll say, Batman 200 through 700. Full run. $5,000. Uh, but he'll he'll have like a handling time of two months. And what happens is every once in a while he'll sell one of these. And then it's a, he does this mad frenzy to every store in the area and calls up every dealer to try to get these books down. Because he figures... He can get, maybe he's got half of the books, but when he gets that $5,000, he's 
it's he's viewing it as an advance, and he's going around to hunt the rest of the books down, and he thinks he'll be able to track them down, and then pocket one or two thousand dollars. But it's never worked out that way for him. And infamously, last time he supposedly, uh, this is what he said firsthand to a couple of us. He got burned in several ways because there were a couple issues he wasn't able to find. So the guy was pissed off because it had gone on for like two months. He filed a dis- this this guy filed a dispute, so he had to go online and buy the missing issues off of eBay at a huge premium. He got his you know what handed to him price wise, and then on top of that, he didn't get he didn't change the shipping cost, and he was shipping like three long boxes to Spain. Which ended up costing him something like twelve hundred dollars. So his PayPal account got frozen, and there was all sorts of all sorts of stuff that happened. But it couldn't happen to a nice guy. Anyway, don't do that. Not a great business model. He's still got a ton of them online right now too. He's got to run a New Mutants. He's got to run of X Men. He's got all sorts of stuff, and we know he doesn't actually have the issues. So there you go. Best practice. Only sell what you have on hand. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. He And he would call, so that Batman one, he would call every day, sometimes multiple times. Hey, I'm just wondering if uh, anybody brought any Neil Adams Batman into sell today? No. Calls four hours later. Anybody bring any uh, Neil Adams Batman issues in in the last four hours? No. <laughs> no, no one has. <laughs> so that's not a good thing. Oh, yes. Good times. Indeed. Uh, anything else that you wanted to throw out there on this topic? You kind of started it. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to really throw out. I guess if, if we had to summarize what we're saying, it's um, there's plenty of money to be made selling comic books. Mm-hmm. There's a lot less money to be made selling comic books that you've purchased from a comic book store. Yeah. Furthermore, if you are going to try to make a living doing that, be ready to buy in bulk, because if you hand us a couple grand, we're going to cut you a much better deal than if you spend $30. And get to know the people you're trying to buy from, because we're on very good terms with the people that are our big, giant bulk buyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have an attitude or you feel entitled that you're owed something because you're you're buying a stack of five books, we're not really going to cut you any deals. We're yeah. probably not going to be very nice to you. And just remember, too, that, yes, it's a supply and demand thing, but chances are if you're investing large amounts of money, you're probably buying keys, and that's what you want to flip. Um, if if you treat your supplier, in this case, poorly, mm-hmm. there's enough demand that they are not held to any standard to have to meet your demands. Well, and on, if we're measuring demand, as a comic book store that sets up at conventions as well, we've got more demand than they'll ever have. Yep. And we've also got the supply. So if you want to be another part in that supply chain, that's fine. But you're just going to have to find a different – you're going to have to find a different niche or a different way to to fit in there. Um, But we're more than happy to work with people that want to do that kind of thing. So here's another great example. We get more – what do we have the most of after we buy a collection? Dollar books. Dollar books. Up the yin-yang. I mean, to the point where we run... A lot of times what I'll do is I'll go to shows and I'll take $20 boxes with me. And I don't want to take them home. $21 long boxes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't want to take them home because we have so many. 
By home, I mean here. Um, which it certainly feels like. Uh, so I'll sell, I'll sell a lot of dollar books over the course of a show. And then other dollar bulk dealers will buy my dollar boxes at a much reduced price. So I don't have to take them back. Now, I'm not just selling the dollar boxes for whatever I sell them for at the end of the show because people have purchased dollar books out of them during the course of the convention. But we have a lot of people that are just primarily bargain book sellers that buy up our dollar books just because we have so many of them. So if we, if you're somebody that's just trying to sell a lot of cheap books or you want to just put cheap runs of things together and, and sell those, We'll be more than happy to work. I mean, you want to buy, you want to come in and buy 30 long boxes of dollar books from us. You let us know when and where. And we're going to get them ready for you. We'll, we'll even we'll carry be, them out to your car. We'll carry them out to your car for you. Uh, no problemo, you know, but at the same time, don't expect to come in here and, and get half off on wall books just because you decided to grace us with your presence and walk through the door. You know, we're, we're happy to work with, with resellers. We love resellers. We mm-hmm. do. We have a, I mean, we have such a great relationship with a lot of local resellers um, that we're, you know, we're on first name basis with, with most of these guys. We, we talk on Facebook and uh, we help each other out. We help each other out, but it's because people understand that there is sort of a community and that you're scratching our back. So we're going to scratch yours. If you just expect us to scratch your back for nothing, it's not going to happen. We don't give free scratches. No free scratches. So that's it. Okay. Well, uh, I think for for the time being, if anyone has any questions or thoughts or comments, you know, you can always hit us up on Twitter. You can send us messages through Facebook, uh, email, whatever. And unfortunately, if you don't live close, we would love to sell you cheap long boxes, but the shipping might kill you. Yes. However, however, if you want to come see Garth Ennis mm. and pick up cheap. Long boxes of dollar books. We got it. Boom. Uh, and I, actually, let's throw this out there. For anyone who is interested in coming to see Garth from a distance and would like any uh, feedback or th- thoughts on where to stay, what things to do, stuff like that, shoot us a note. Let us know. We, we've, You've lived here your entire life. I've lived here long enough that I know the ins mm-hmm. and outs. I have a three-year-old. Um, I'm a 12-year-old at heart. So... We know kind of the whole broad landscape of things for families, for individuals. Yep. So by all means, if you're questioning and want to know, let us let us know. We'd be happy to help you um, pick out a, a nice place to stay that won't break the bank and give you some tips and pointers on places you can bring go. Your, bring your wife, too, because yeah. um, I know a nice esthetician that would be more than happy to provide services in, in a spa for your wife while you're over here. <laughs> um, and, and beyond that, it's a, it's a nice area for um for just getaways you know spend a couple hours and do this and trick-or-treating in town uh that saturday night bring your kids with their costumes and uh, i have it on good authority because i've experienced it if you come to the store and you ask where the adult portion of the trick-or-treating is i would be happy to tell you and i don't mean like Uh, don't go down that street with the red lights i mean the kids get candy and the adults get is this where they have the zombie tramp convention no okay. no it's not that kind it's just the uh adults get you know you trick-or-treat for a bottle of beer or something Plus, like that so now let's also talk about oconomowoc is the safest city in wisconsin that's right we've been minted that um yeah two lakes nice place to live fresh air 
Nice bed and breakfast here. A lot of great bed and breakfast. Absolutely, absolutely. We should really buy a bed and breakfast if we're going to plug them. You know, that's actually been Kelly's dream for... Ever since she saw the first episode of Gilmore Girls? It probably has been. (laughs) Uh, I guess I I wouldn't have put two and two together having never seen it, but if if that was in there... Yes, it's a key part of it. No, but even if you... Again, if you are going to come out, that's going to be a busy weekend for us, no doubt. Getting everything ready and shuttling Garth and Joe Pruitt to and from the airport and... Hopefully some brewery tours and whatnot. But let us know because we're at the very least we'd love to take a little bit of time. If you've yeah. if you've come from any distance, or even if you haven't come from much of a distance, but you're coming up here for the signing and you listen to the podcast, we'll take I mean, we'll try to fit you in and at least have a beer with you or something. We'll buy yep. you a beer, you know. Yep. Uh, you can't turn that down. Yeah, we, we absolutely do the best that we can. Uh, try and give us at least a day's heads up though if you're coming. So that we can set that time aside because we do both have busy schedules, families, oh, yeah. things like that. It's when you pop in 20 minutes before you're going to leave and we're not at the shop. That makes it a little difficult for us, which it happens. Travel happens. It's busy. But we'd love to see everyone. Um, love getting your feedback on things that you want to hear about. And uh, anything else? No. All right. Well, then for James and myself, we will talk to you next time. On behalf of all of us, thank you for listening to this episode of the Cowcast. You can find us on all the main social media outlets, including Facebook at facebook.com slash Incredicow, on Twitter at Incredicow, or on Instagram at Cowabunga Comics. To send an email to us directly, send it to podcast at cowabungacomics.com, or to join in the discussion, you can hop on our new Cowabunga Comics forum at forums.cowabungacomics, that's cowabunga with a K, dot com. 